earlier, our speaker this evening is Bland Mason. And uh, if you were with us last year, you had a chance to hear Bland. Uh, Bland has been at Westgate on a number of occasions. Uh, every time I have something I want to learn, I, he's one of the people I call and say, will you come do a workshop for us or something on that? And uh, so Bland is, uh, has blessed us many times here. Uh, he's the lead pastor of City on a Hill Church in Boston and Brookline, which is in what, its fifth year now? Fifth year. Uh, Bland uh, and his wife, Teresa, came here to Boston to plant this church. Um, they've got three kids, Hannah, Jordan, and Sarah. Um, and in the five years that they have been at work uh, in Boston and Brookline at City on a Hill Church, they have launched, you third, right? They're on, they're on their third plant coming out of their church in the five years that they've existed, which is just really exciting to see some of what God is doing in gospel ministry here in New England and in Boston. And so uh, uh, it's just wonderful uh, to see that. Bland has, um, he's, before coming here, he pastored in Kentucky, right? And uh, was on the adjunct staff at Campbellsville University. Um, he's also... Moonlights as the chaplain for the Red Sox, which is kind of cool, and uh, so it's always nice. Um, but anyhow, Bland is a friend. He's a huge encouragement to me uh, with his passion for gospel ministry, with his wisdom, and so I'm really excited to have him here tonight uh, and to challenge and encourage us. So come bless us, Bland. Thanks, Brandon. Um, it's, it's really good to be back. Uh, I realize I look back at actually the calendar of the uh, last couple times I, I spoke. I think it was, it was actually two years ago around this time I did like a little missional communities conference workshop for you. And then uh, last year, of course, being at the, um, this conference uh, was a lot of fun with uh, Jared Wilson, who's now uh, moved on to uh, Midwestern Seminary, uh, moving up in the world. But uh, it's great to be here with you. Um, I, I'm very thankful for, for Brandon. I, I have a, a, a lot in common with him in ways that I, the church I pastored in Kentucky uh, was 125 years old. I pastored for nine years and so had a multi-generational church and uh, all the, the fun that comes with that. Um, had a building, which we don't have. Uh, <laughs> a lot of great things that, that went along with it. And, and I understand the, the desire to help a church continually be fresh and, and really press out in missions. So uh, I appreciate him having me tonight. In particular, I want to thank you for coming because, let's face it, it's Friday night and it's the first day of spring. So you could be doing all kinds of things out in shorts or, or you know, whatever, but uh, probably not, uh, actually. But it was 645 this evening uh, is was uh, the beginning of spring, so congratulations, you made it. But... <laughs> Um, we have a lot to go through tonight. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of um, a lot of material, and, and in particular, my desire for tonight is not simply to give you some more information, but to uh, to inspire and encourage you as well. Because I think when it comes down to it, I, me as a Christian, I have a PhD from a seminary. I've pastored now for 19 years. Um, I've, I've taught college. I've, I've done a lot of things as a Christian. Been on missions overseas. Uh, I oftentimes find, just confession, I don't need more information. Not that I don't need to learn more about Christ and there's things that I, I can learn, 
but that oftentimes it's about inspiration. It's about my need to, for, for, to get my eyes fixed on Jesus again, to get my heart warmed by his love and his grace. And let's face it, Jesus doesn't change, so that means <laughs> it's me who, who's the problem in that, on that side. So tonight's going to be a combination of both, um, hopefully some inspiration or information and inspiration, exhortation and encouragement. And so I'm going to save the last part of the message tonight for something unique, and I'll introduce it here in a minute, a uh, few minutes. But I grew up, uh, I've, if you were, you've been around a couple of years, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my testimony is like some of yours, uh, some of you didn't, but I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I had a bent from a very young age uh, to ask questions, boundaries. Uh, it was just hardwired into my soul, I think, from a young age. When my parents tried to discipline me as a teenager, I was like an investigative reporter trying to get to the bottom of exactly why. And especially if I didn't agree with why they were setting these boundaries, I would continue to ask questions. And I, and it, I, I left for college. I was not following Christ in high school. But when I left for college, Jesus really did a radical work to save my, my heart, save me, draw me to himself. And I began this this incredible journey with him where I, I grew, uh, I actually developed a pretty voracious appetite for scripture. Uh, I was reading five chapters a day while I was in uh, most of college and read through the Bible pretty quickly and just loved Jesus. I fasted intentionally. No one told me to. I just chose to fast and, and wanted to uh, walk with Jesus. And, and I experienced a lot of joy in that. But I have to admit that um, through that and then being called into ministry and starting seminary, I, I began to, to uh, how can I say this? I love Jesus, but I sort of viewed my Christian life as, okay, I do all of these things and I've got my membership card, so I'll meet up with him at the end. Um, and so it was kind of like uh, when, when I went to the movies when I was a kid, my dad would buy the tickets and he would hand it to us, the kids. I don't know why in the world he did that, but he would hand it to us, and we'd be in the mall. We'd go walk around for a little while, and you know, I. I but I, I hung on to ticket. I didn't lose it. But, but you know, we'd go grab popcorn, or we'd go talk to people, or something. We were all going to meet up in the theater, and I think that that's how I viewed my Christian life. Sure, what I was doing sort of had something to do with going to the theater, but right now it wasn't really. It wasn't a clear direction about here and now. What am I supposed to be doing that's different, other than following the rules, um, which? Never really appealed to me, honestly. Um, and then I, I read a book called Desiring God. And that book, I spent a summer in it, and it wrecked me. It really did, in a great way. And, and outside of my time in college where God drew me to himself, there's no book uh, that impacted me like Desiring God. And, and also, around the same time, I watched a, a conference message where John Piper spoke at a... Um, collegiate conference uh, about to, uh, called the Passion Conference, he spoke about not wasting your life. And that began to bring a whole new category for me. That now, um, my, my Christian life wasn't simply about getting things in order and doing these things. It was about loving Christ. It was about delighting in Him. And then out of that, now I want to do these things. I want to do these other things. And I want to make His name known. Um, and I began to question about how I was going to invest my life and the difference I was going to make in this world. Um, and so tonight, as we talk about mission, I, I realized the last thing I want to do is guilt anyone into that. The last, there's two things that occurred to me as I was preparing this. One is that that's the last thing I want to do. Guilt's a terrible motivation. It, it might get you to do something for a little while, but your heart's not really in it. 
It's kind of like, uh, ladies, if you've ever looked at your husband and said, you haven't asked me out on a date in a long time. And then he reluctantly says, well, why don't we go out Friday night? And you're like, well, no. You know, uh, <laughs> and the answer is why? Because his heart's not in it. And, and God's not interested like, well, I just, I want some people to suck it up and do some mission for me. No, that's not what God's saying tonight, okay? So I want to say that. And then the other thing is, I recognize that I'm probably not going to say anything tonight that's going to be new. Like you didn't read the title and go, oh, an ambassador? I'm supposed to be an ambassador? I, I'm assuming right off the bat that you're here on a Friday night because you have some interest in that already, that you have a framework for mission. Um, and so my goal is to sort of unpack you personally, what, what Christ has done for you and me that, that ends up putting us in, in the center of what he's doing in this world and, and how he invites us and, and, and makes us ambassadors. So uh, you can turn in your Bible to First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 uh, and following. Uh, and, and what we're going to do tonight, I hope, by the end of this evening, is you'll have a clear picture of how Christ's calling for you has brought you into this role as an ambassador, and then we're going to land on some inspiration. What I think, I hope, and my prayers will, will really inspire you with a big picture of Christ to go and be his ambassador. All right, so let's read this uh, passage together. At my church, when I say when I read this, I say, uh, this is the word of the Lord, and then I uh, have my people respond by saying, thanks be to God. So I'll say that at the end if you would join me with that. First Peter uh, 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as, evil, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. So what we see progress, pro, what we see that happens that progresses in this passage is God's calling on us. And it starts with the, the, the first picture is that Christ calls us out of darkness. That's what he's directly says in verse 9, that him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we can read right over that and gloss right over that, but it's so important, I think as a Christian, when I forget the darkness that Christ has called me out of, I often don't appreciate the light I'm actually getting to walk in. You have to see the darkness to, to believe the light. You have to see how sick you were before you can appreciate health uh, and wellness. And I think even just as a practical example, we all recognize that. As soon as you get sick, you're like, oh, wow, I, I think I was taking for granted that I was healthy. Uh, and so we have to keep that in mind. And I think that's what Peter's reminding us of here. And what I want to unpack is um, that you will not be a good ambassador unless you understand what you've been saved from and, and saved for. Uh, and so what I want to unpack very quickly are 10 biblical descriptions of us without Christ. This describes the darkness that all people who are not in Christ are in today and that you and I were once in. Uh, so these are very quick, uh, but, but they're right out of Scripture. The first one is that we're spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. We weren't weak. We weren't um, in need of some help. We were dead. 
Dead people don't do anything. They have no life in them. There's, 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 no, there's no ability to act when someone is dead. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, as, you, and as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul in Ephesians is trying to remind his hearers, this is who you were. You were dead. Um, you didn't you didn't choose God. You didn't choose to be alive. You weren't searching for God. God brought you to life. You're spiritually dead. Secondly, you were under God's wrath. Ephesians two verse three says, "All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were under God's wrath. We were not neutral." We were, we were under God's wrath already. Thirdly, we were growing in our depravity. Not only are non-Christians already under God, God's wrath, but grow, they are growing, constantly growing in their disobedience to God. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Apart from God, you were not marginal. You were growing in your depravity. Apart from God reaching down with His Spirit, saving you, and showing you light, you were running headlong into hell. And, and you loved it. Fourthly, your law, the law, and con- or your conscience constantly accuses you. That's why. That's why so many people don't want to come into the light. Romans two fourteen, um, it shows that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, even defending them. So when when God when when you saw your sin, it wasn't like you're like, yep, look at that. You were like, no, that's not so bad. I wasn't that bad people think they're, they're, that they were not that bad. Number five, nothing we do honored God. The best of a deed of, not, of a non-Christian does not honor God. Um, I hear people say all the time, well, I, I pray and I do these things for other people. And I'm like, well, are you, are you clinging to Christ? Are you walking in Christ? I go, no. And, and, and you're like, well, is, is God mad at those people? Yes, He is. Why? Because he's, they're denying their need for His sovereign Son who came and died for them. In other words, they think they're good enough. And I don't know about you, but nothing... Uh, scripture is, is pretty clear that God doesn't think that our righteous deeds are good. Uh, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. If you dig into the Hebrew there, there's very specific terminology here. All all of us have become like one who is unclean. That's a biblical term used of people under the Levitical law. But then it says, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The rags there are a mention of, let's see if I can say this very nicely, menstrual rags that are unclean. And if you're like, that's really gross, that's what God thinks of our righteous deeds. That all your goodness that you did before Christ, God, you're like holding that up to Him. Incapable, number six, of pleasing God at all. Romans 8, 
The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Number seven, we were enemies of God. We, were, we had declared all-out war on God's sovereignty. That's the nature of sin. When you look back in the garden, we didn't want God to rule us. We didn't want God to, to, to control us. We didn't want God to tell us what to do. We didn't want to follow God. We wanted to be God. That's the nature of sin. And so we were enemies of His. Romans 5.10, we were once God's enemies. Colossians 1.21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So we were enemies of God. Number eight, we're incapable of atoning for our sin. Incapable. There wasn't even anything we could do to make up for it. Psalm 49, 7 says, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Number nine, we were blind and deaf to spiritual truth. This is, by the way, why you can tell your friend about the gospel every single day of your life, family or friend, and, and tell them day after 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 day, and a thousand and thirty-first time they finally go, oh, I think I believe that. What was it up to that? Are they that thick? Do you think they're that stupid? No, they're blind. Blind people don't see. It's hard to look at them and go, look at that, look at Jesus. And they're like, I don't see anything. And you're, until Christ opens their eyes, until Christ opened your eyes, you were blind. First uh, Corinthians uh, 1, 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing in Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And number 10, incapable of changing. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to do evil. So our hearts were were in... It says he has delivered you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the darkness. It's not like you were in a room with the light off. You were in darkness in your soul. You were damnable. You deserved hell. You deserved God's wrath. You deserved nothing. You had no claim for life or Jesus or anything. That's who you were. That's where you were. And he's called you out of that into his marvelous light. And so that, so we see God has called us, Christ has called us out of darkness. And that leads us to our second idea here. We're going to spend the most time on the third, so we're moving through these pretty fast. Number two is that Christ calls us to be God's distinct people. So Christ calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light to be his distinct people. So he says here in verse uh, 9 that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So Israel was God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They were, um, of all the nations on earth, all the peoples on earth, Israel was supposed to be utterly distinct. And people were supposed to be able to go to the temple and they were supposed to be able see what God was like, and they were supposed to be around God's people and see what God was like. And this is why, little excursus, this is why God's so angry at sin in the Old Testament. This is why when, when Israel keeps going off the deep end, he judges them. Why? Because he says, you will not lie about me. You are my people. I will not allow you to lie to the world about my character and who I am. 
You will be my distinct people. And if we have to do it, kicking and screaming, we'll do it. Thankfully, he doesn't do that anymore in the same way. But that's why his, the laws in the Old Testament Israel are so harsh. Because he could not tolerate his people lying about who he is. So we're brought in as this new people, um, a new family. And the beauty of it is it's, it, it's a new race because it transcends all races. Just like there's several races in the room right now. Being in Christ now transcends all of our ethnic identities. Not that it washes them away like they don't matter. It's simply something greater because we're part of a new race. Um, all peoples, all nationalities, whatever your background is, you're brought into something new. Something that is, is literally a new humanity. That's why Jesus is called in the New Testament a new Adam. I don't know about you, but Adam was a pretty important figure in the history of humanity. He was like the first one, right? And, and we all come from him. Jesus is a new Adam, starting an entirely new humanity that lives entirely new lives in the old world, Adam world. That's the picture. And so when Christians begin to, to, to be a distinct people in this world, they, they look different. Um, and, and thus they're distinct. They're a, a royal, a holy people, a set apart for God. Tim Keller talks about this in one of his sermons. Um, he quotes uh, Suetonius, who was one of the early uh, pagan writers in the Roman Empire. Suetonius called Christians uh, were act- said that Christians were actually another genus, uh, which is the word where we get our word uh, genus from, or sp- where where species differentiation comes from. So, actually, as early as the second, third century, Christians were be calling being called a whole another, you know type of human, and a whole other species of human uh, because of how weird we were. Um, and it's true. It's because in that time, Christians in that Roman Empire, it was fine for you to have all the worship, whatever gods you wanted to. They had the whole pantheon at that point. But you just didn't drag that stuff into public. You know, you just didn't get that in other people's faces. And everybody sort of acted the same no matter who you worshipped. But Christians... Worship God, worship Jesus, the Messiah, and now they start looking weird. So this is, these are a few things that, that were so countercultural as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that looked weird. First, Christians wouldn't go to the gladiatorial, uh, battles. We wouldn't go to the, to the, uh, what was it called? The, uh, Colosseum. Yeah, we, we didn't like to go to the Colosseum. Why? Well, we, we're hiding now. We don't like going to public places. No. We, we, we could not stand seeing people being executed for entertainment. We couldn't stand partially because some of them were Christians. You know? We definitely didn't like that. But we just, we wouldn't participate in that. And I don't know about you, but it was like, at that time, if you know anything about history, the gladiatorial, like, you know, battles and, and everything were, were, were entertainment. They were like the NBA, the uh, Major League Baseball and football all combined. So imagine, you know, if the Red Sox and the Patriots and, you know, the, um, the, the, the Bruins and the Celtics all played at one place at the same time. Like, that's what it was like. And Christians said, no, we can't go participate in that. They also didn't serve in the military um, because the military often, used, they wouldn't sign up because uh, Caesar used the military to ex- advance the kingdom, to the, expand the empire. And they said, no, we're not, we're not supposed to do that. Like, we're not, we're not supposed to help him with his wars of conquest. Christians were against abortion and infanticide. 
So much so that Christians would go to the garbage pile where people would throw out their unwanted babies and we'd just grab them and take them home and raise them. So much so that after a while it began to be known that Christians lived in certain areas of the city so people wouldn't throw their babies out on the garbage pile. They would take them and leave them in that area of the city because the Christians would take care of them. Men, uh, that uh, Christians thought that women and men were equal and actually gave women leadership roles in the early church. They, uh, we, they believed uh, they were against sex outside of marriage. That was weird then, just like it is now. Um, they were absolutely, radically for the poor. Absolutely. Giving resources, time, energy to help the poor. Um, way beyond what Greeks and Romans gave. They mixed the races and classes together. So they had slaves eating at the table with, with owners and wealthy people with poor people and, and, and different races and, and, the, and, and people would look and go, that's weird, you're not supposed to do that. You're from different classes. And then Christians believed that Christ was the only way to salvation. Many in our culture do not understand what Christianity teaches because Christians have lied about the gospel. We've said it's about what we're against. We, we've made it uh, we've made it a hobby. Like Christianity is about going to church, and that that's not the message of the gospel. The early Christians lived so distinctly that it had an effect on everyone else. What if the church today was known for our tremendous love for each other? What if people go, you know what? I don't uh, I don't believe they're they're fairy tales, but those people sure are loving. What if the LGBT community? Wasn't the one leading the way to help protect teenagers who were struggling with gender identity or, or sexual orientation? What if Christians were leading the way going, no, we need, you're an image bearer of God. Christ loves you. God loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. We love you. Don't hurt yourself. Don't be alienated. We have a community for you. What if we were leading the way in that rather than trying to play catch up? Um, we're called out of darkness into the marvelous light to be God's distinct people. And that leads us to our, our third idea. But before we get to that, what do you call a person who lives openly on a foreign soil at the behest of their native country, but serves for the purpose of the king and their home country? I'm sorry? <laughs> An ambassador, right? That's the word we're talking about today. That's, that's the idea. And that's really what this text gets at. Is, and this is our third idea. That Christ calls us on mission as his ambassadors. And this connects. This is the part of my Christian life I just didn't get. I thought the Christian life was about, you know, studying scripture and, and following what Jesus tells us to do. And, and, and it's, it's more about who I am. We tend to make the Christian life about what we do. But it's more about living out who we are already. You see, you're not an ambassador because you do things that an ambassador does. You're an ambassador because Christ has made you an ambassador. Um, and you can turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Hold, hold your spot in 1 Peter, but you can flip over to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 real quick. Um, so Paul is speaking to, uh, to the Corinthians here, and, and I, I, I include verse 17 because it ties in, again, our identity comes out of who we are in Christ. So Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, so let's use the first Peter picture, 
The darkness has passed away. Behold, the new has come, the marvelous light. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be no to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I love this because Peter Paul doesn't go you've become an ambassador because of the things you do. No, he said by the very fact that you have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ and are in him you've been given the very ministry of of that message. You are an ambassador. He has saved you for that. And so, some ideas about being an ambassador. First, ambassadors are not home. Ambassadors are not home. So, so back to Peter. Peter says, we are sojourners and exiles. Also could be translated, resident aliens and visiting foreigners. These are identities, not activities. This is what I'm, I'm trying to get at again tonight. I don't want you to start doing some things because you think it's the right thing to do. I want you to be on mission and to live out being an ambassador because that's who you are. Christ has made you that. You may not be a great one right now, <laughs> but he's died to, to give you that ministry. And, and being the fact that you're in his family, you are. So ambassadors don't get caught up in this world. Because they know it's not their home. I, I'm preaching through First Peter right now, so this text really just stirs in my heart a lot. But but back in chapter one, Peter uh, Peter tells them, uh, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you." That's that's settled. All of that's settled. The, the Christian ambassador living here and now has his mind fixed on that living hope and that, that inheritance. They don't set up shop here. They don't act like this is home. They're never fully settled. And, and if you feel, you're like, I feel kind of like my life's not fully settled. Good. Because <laughs> if you do, you're probably in a bad place spiritually. Because this is not your home. You're like, well, I kind of get things going and then things fall apart. Because this is not your home. It's not going to get together. You're not going to get all the balls in the air at the same time and, and keep them going. It's just not going to happen. So because you're fixing your hope on the inheritance you have, you don't settle in here and now. What do you call an ambassador that gets to the foreign land, settles in and starts doing life just like the natives, valuing all that they value and functioning day to day just like them, other than making a weekly trip to the embassy. You call them a citizen, yeah. They're acting like a citizen or maybe even a traitor. Because they're not practicing what their government sent and their king sent them over to do. Represent me. Live for me over there. Tell people about me. The greatest thing about the Christian being ambassadors, we're not home, but we get to create home here in a sense where we get to tell other people and they get to join the family. That's the coolest thing. We're not here as enemies to wage war. We're here to tell people about this amazing home that they can have too. This 
inheritance that God has redeemed and, and, and created for them. So ambassadors are not home. Ambassadors represent, secondly, the ambassadors represent their king and country. You represent King Jesus and the inheritance he has for you in everything you do. If you're a student, that's, that's part of it. It is. Your, your day-to-day life, the way that you're, you're interacting with other students, your teachers, it's all part of that. Everywhere you go and everything you do is part of being an ambassador. Think about an ambassador that sort of takes off from being an ambassador while they're overseas. No. They literally, whether they're in the embassy or out in the country or in a city or speaking to a dignitary or whatever, they're an ambassador. It's not like they check out of that. Their whole life is by definition, being an ambassador means they're not home. And they always represent, they don't ever cease to represent their king. Now, I, I know, I know Boston. Listen, I've been here long enough and some of you are sitting there, you're like thinking, yeah, I understand that, Bland, but if I go to school, if I go to work, and professionally, people are going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I've lost my mind. They're going to think I'm dumb for believing in these fairy tales. They're, they're, they're going to they're gonna think I'm a moron. Believe me, I, I, my church, I, I, I'm not bragging, it's just where we are in Brookline. North Brookline has PhDs at Harvard and MIT and, you know, a lot of people from Longwood, MDs and researchers and, I mean, four degrees and, I mean, they have a lot of letters after their names, most of them. Um, <laughs> And, I, and, I, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but I've told them over and over and again, you've got to get over that, that you want to be known as the smartest person at work. You can't. You need to crucify that. Because there's no way for you to be a faithful Christian and expect that, that people who don't believe in it at all will believe you're a brilliant person. Now, they might think you do good work. And that's, that's important. We'll talk about that tomorrow morning when we talk about work and how you're on mission at work. But there are always people that are going to think your IQs drop 20 points when they find out you're a Christian. They're like, well, how did she get in this job, you know? And, and stop and think about it for a minute. And the reason we need to crucify that, that part that wants to be cool or intelligent or respected for that, well, think about it. You're thinking someone's going to think you're crazy. If you tell them that 2,000 years ago, God came down in human form, born to a virgin, lived a sinless life, forgave sins here on earth, was was uh, nailed to a Roman cross. Oh, by the way, and that took all the sins of the whole world on himself. Oh, and then three days later, he rose from the grave, appeared to hundreds of people, ascended into heaven, and he's going to come again one day on a horse with tattoos down his leg, and he's going to restore the whole earth. If you've, if this has never happened to you, you've never been telling somebody about that and felt a little crazy while you're telling it, I don't think you understand how crazy it is. It's so crazy, no human being can ever discover it on their own. Seriously. It, it, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The word foolishness is the word moronic. It's where we get our Greek word moron from. So welcome. The sooner you embrace the fact that believing in Jesus is going to probably make you a moron to some people, the more free you are from that, aren't you? 
you're not going to be cool to everybody. But that's okay. Christian, these Christians, you realize that Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering at the hands of Nero. If you don't know who Emperor Nero is, top five worst guys to Christians, leaders in world history, to Christians. He, he persecuted them severely, falsely, for setting a fire in downtown Rome, which he set. Here's what happened. Nero wanted to basically demolish downtown Rome create his own palace. You can look it up on on, the internet, Nero's Palace, opulent, gold, everything. I mean, you think, you know, MTV Cribs or whatever is nice, like this would have blown them all away or did blow them all away. But what would happen is he came out with these plans and the city sort of pushed back. So ironically, there was a fire that tragically burned down that whole section of the city, including homes and businesses and shrines. And so the citizens of Rome were like, that's exactly the area Nero wanted to build a palace in. So they looked at Nero, and Nero's like, the Christians did it. And he killed them. And he used to he used to execute them and dip them in oil or other flammable liquid and put them on stakes and light his garden with it at night. He was a horrible man. And yet Christians in this context were to be faithful, to, to, to represent their king. To not run in fear of Nero, but to hold on to that inheritance they were clinging to. Listen, the context that Peter was writing to makes like, makes the spiritual context of New England look like an evangelical Bible camp in the South. Nobody's died, right? Anybody died for being a Christian recently in New England? No. So we're doing better. So why don't we represent our king? And that the third idea here final idea is that ambassadors have a mission we have a mission that that paul says we've been given this ministry of reconciliation to 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 tell others about him we're ambassadors representing him um we're literally to tell a dying world about the hope of the gospel and let me tell you something as bluntly as i possibly can you do not know who needs to hear it today i will tell you the God has done some incredible things at City on a Hill, and, and, and I appreciate Brandon sh- sharing about the church. It's a beautiful mess, okay? It's, it's, it's crazy. It, it, don't ever look in on the outside and think, well, that must be great. It's exciting. There's neat things happening, but it is a mess. It's like herding cats on roller skates hyped up on Skittles or something. I don't know. It's just crazy at times. But, um, but at times, something happened to me this last fall that has never happened. I pray it never happens again. So a woman in our church, real regular, um, she's very nice, and people know she's a Christian, but she doesn't tend to tell other people about the gospel. She just sort of tends to be like, yeah, I kind of, I'll let them know I go to church. I mean, they know I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to, like, tell them the gospel. And so she invited one of her one of her friends, one of her girlfriends uh, to come who'd been going through a tough time recently and had never been to church and i think she was jewish actually jewish background and she came one sunday uh to church and the woman in our church never like she she talked to her and she's like yeah it was good it was good she didn't follow up less than two weeks later that girl committed suicide i had to think back about my sermon that day and i did i preached the gospel in the sermon i'm like I hope maybe. But the one thing that 
that nobody around this girl realizes is she needed to hear the gospel now. She, she was successful. But she needed to hear the gospel now. And you do not know who is in your circle that you've been sent as an ambassador to. You might be gone next week. And I'm not gloom and doom. Again, it's not guilt. If you love that person, you want them to hear. And you'll risk a little bit letting them think you're crazy. <laughs> and say it. You might think I'm crazy. And that's totally cool. <laughs> and tell them the good news. We have a mission to proclaim the gospel in, in two ways. In our deeds. First of all, this is the first dimension of our mission. Uh, so Peter says, keep your conduct honorable. Keep your conduct honorable. That means it matters how you live your life. It matters what you do. It matters the decisions you make. Authenticity is the key, not perfection. I've had enough conversations with with, uh, non-Christians. Actually, I did a major research part of my PhD where we studied non-Christians all over the United States. And and the survey was pretty, pretty intense. It was about an hour per person. We interviewed around 450 people. Um, including, I, I, I did most of the interviews for the New England area. And it was amazing to me how many non-Christians had issues with Christianity, not because of the gospel or Jesus, but because of Christians and churches. And it wasn't even what we believe in terms of the gospel or Jesus. It's, it was literally our behavior. It was literally the things that, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm the most hateful, judgmental person you'll ever meet. People look at us and they go, oh, I don't want that. If that's what Jesus is about. Our our behavior matters. What we do matters. Heaven is our home. We've been given this this living hope with an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading reward that's in heaven for you. That can never be taken away. That's what he's emphasizing. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Anything else you could long for does one of those three. Or possibly all three. But this is the one thing that doesn't do any of those. And he's saying, when we live in light of that, it affects how we treat other people here. And the decisions you make. It's hard to look at, look at people who are not Christians and go, I have a home in heaven, but I'm sure carving out a nice one here and now. Just like you are. Oh, my, my hope is that one day I'll be with Jesus, but I also want as much comfort while I'm in this world as I can get. I'm following Christ with my whole life, but I seem to do a lot of things that I want to do. If our lives don't have a flavor that's different in the way we treat other people and the way we act, why in the world would anyone from the outside look in and want that? So that's the... the the deeds part. And that's extremely important. We'll talk about that a little more about work tomorrow in particular, where roughly you will spend 80,000 hours of your life. So let's talk about how to do that on mission tomorrow. This relates to the, and the final one here is that we're to use gospel words. Gospel words, proclamation of the gospel. So he says here, a key word in verses 9 and 10 is the word that. He's called you out of marvelous, uh, out of darkness into his marvelous light that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a purpose there. 
And, I, and the, the thing I don't want you to think is that God's sitting up in heaven going, De- declare my excellencies, go, do that. No, he wants you to. And let's face it, if you've been brought out of all that darkness and blindness and spiritual brokenness and depravity that, that we talked about earlier into a marvelous light of life and you have this inheritance that's waiting for you one day and you can't talk about that to anybody, you don't find yourself telling people about that, that's on you, that's not on God. That's that's your heart. If you looked at me and bland, declare the excellencies of Teresa, your wife, go. And I went, whoa, 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 wait a second. Um, I'm, I'm just not sure if I feel comfortable with that. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. Um, nobody would think that's healthy, would you? You'd be concerned. You'd be like, Pastor Brandon, maybe Pastor Bland needs some marital help, you know? And I would too. But the fact is, if you say, tell me about your wife, Bland, declare the excellency. It's like, oh, she's great. She's my best friend. She's beautiful. She's smart. Uh, she has a... She's very strong, probably a little too strong at times, but, uh, but no, I need that, you know, and, and I can declare those excellencies because I love her and I can see those things. And God is saying that to me. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good is what he says. We, the truth is you and I can't help but declare the excellencies of things we find. It, it is one of the universal things human beings do. We find something excellent and we tell other human beings about it. We can't help it. C.S. Lewis talks about this. John Piper talks about it. But it, but it really is wired into us. So two weeks ago, I, I don't know how long it's been on the internet, but somebody sent me a clip. I like, I play the guitar. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none on musical instruments. But, um, I, I play the guitar a little bit. And somebody sent me this, uh, YouTube clip of a guy playing ACDC's Thunderstruck on the acoustic guitar. And some of you are like, who's ACDC? Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> But a guy plays this song by himself on the acoustic guitar, and I'm just sitting there just staring at him like, this is crazy. And you know what I did? I shared it. I put it on Facebook and Twitter and sent it to other people and then got some retweets. I was like, yeah, you know? It's like, I want other people to enjoy it too. And and that's what you do. The question is, is God like that to you? Do you want to declare His excellencies because you've experienced them? We are God's billboards here on earth, telling everyone God is awesome. But I fear most of us are saying, God is okay. He's moderately interesting, if you have the time. Not the most compelling thing. Truth is, uh, Albert Einstein was not a, uh, an atheist, despite what some suggest. Einstein actually had a great respect for um the universe, and one of the problems why he couldn't consider Christianity, he felt like, was that when he looked at the God that the Christians were claiming to follow, he said, all I know is the God who made this universe is a lot bigger than that. We've lied about who God is. And I and I want to just close tonight because... Um, with with something I said I was going to share, and and admittedly, it's it's one of those things I I've never used in a sermon on a Sunday. I've used it occasionally at certain instance events, but a few times in my Christian life, God has just grabbed me. Uh, des- reading uh, Desiring God, being at a passion conference, going to Amsterdam for um, 
uh, uh, the Billy Graham World Conference on Evangelism, um, being at different events, seeing different things. And what I'm about to show you is something that, that wrecked me. Like, I've, I, I just, I was speechless after it was over. And, um, and so I share it with you just to prepare you um, that this is the time to put your phone down and sort of concentrate. Because what it, this video does for me, and it's, it's, it's called a, be called a, a John Piper sermon jam, if you will. Um, but I found it on YouTube a couple of years ago, and um, nothing gets me off of me and my heart off of me and my eyes fixed on how big and how incredible and how great God is more than this video, really, in terms of outside of Scripture. And so um, I just want to encourage you to open your mind and heart. It's a little long, it's 15 minutes, but it's extremely well done. So let's, uh, I'm going to pray and then let's watch it together and then I'll close this. Um, Jesus, um, we're so grateful that you have called us to be your ambassadors. You have equipped us and uh, empowered us to know you and to walk with you. And may we get our eyes fixed on you, that you are more beautiful, that you are more amazing that you are more fulfilling and satisfying than anything that we can fathom in this world. And may we live that out as your ambassadors for your glory, our joy, and for the sake of the nations that they might hear of you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I had um, a couple of suggestions, practical suggestions after the video, but I, I want to just just reminded again, if there is one thing that I could say uh, about being on mission and, and living for Christ is you've got to keep that front and central. I would say like there's all kinds of practices and very practical ideas that are that are helpful, but when it comes front and center, it, pursue Christ, run hard after him, long for him, talk to him throughout the day. Because if you are, if you're doing that, you will find your life naturally representing him. And you'll want to tell other people about him. So the confession of the preacher tonight is that I, I'm pretty good at going through the motions. I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? Um, but when I get that in my heart, like Christ supreme, I am a far better pastor. I'm a far better father, husband. I'm a far better ambassador of Christ to others than all the practical stuff I could ever dream of coming up with. Let's pray and we're going to sing. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you again uh, for coming for us and that you didn't come to give us some rules and you didn't come to simply point to the way. You didn't come to to tell us to straighten up and, and you just meet us at the end. You came as a perfect sacrifice. You came supreme and powerful and took on flesh and dwelt among us and tasted life and then gave your life for us. What a joy it is, Jesus, that the, the greatest thing we really can do is know you and walk with you. May we repent of not valuing you like you deserve. May we repent of letting our hearts grow cold and forgetting who you are and what you've done for us and bringing us out of darkness and into your marvelous light.
In your beautiful name we pray.